with prayer. Let's humble our hearts and turn them towards the Father. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. King of Kings, thank you for this day. Thank you for being the alpha and the omega of our lives. Thank you for being the one we can turn to in our times of defeat. Thank you, Lord, because you deliver and you have solutions in everything that we do. God, we pray for a heart of humility unto you. We pray that we will stoop under the unction of your protection and your Holy Spirit when things in our lives are not going the way we anticipated or when we're in positions of defeat, Lord, whether it's the defeat of pride, the defeat of life circumstances, the defeat of loneliness, God, as we will be exploring here in today's show. We are thankful, Lord, that you're the God who can take our defeat and turn them into working progress, into workmanship. Thank you, King. Lord Jesus, we adore you. Amen. Well, welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Kingdom Work for Christ Online radio show. I'm Emma, your host, and it is really a humbling privilege every single week to serve it, serve you in this capacity. For those of you who've been tuning in, thank you so much. It's been a, a rich journey, and in many respects, it's been, um, it's been so much fun and so riveting to see the way in which our King of Kings, the Lord God, our Abba Father, who just looks over us, adores us, and takes care of us the way he's acting today in our lives, in our day-to-day, with people like you and me, and, and, and how active he is. It's been really rich to be able to see the modern-day acts coming to pass. In many respects, I was just talking to a dear friend a couple days ago, this is acts 29 that we're in and i and i i agree with that this is acts 29 this is the continuation of how the holy spirit works today and so today you are in for more about how god takes our defeat and turns them into work in progress over the last few episodes if you've been listening to the show you know what this is about but if you are just tuning in let me give you a little bit of of, of background and context about what Kingdom Work for Christ is. Kingdom Work for Christ is the full-time job of inviting Jesus to take over our day-to-day. It's a job we, we get when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. It is full-time employment. It has full benefits. It does not end. There isn't a termination clause for this job. And it is work, but it's not work according to our agendas or according to what we bring to the table, but it is work according to God's will and God's equipping and God's direction. 
Why is it called work? Because it does take effort. It does take intentionality. Some people have wondered, well, why isn't it called kingdom business? You can know about a business. You can even be working for a business and think you have an idea about the business. But unless you are doing the work within the business, you are not engaged and you are not fully aware of what it takes for this business to run. Today, we'll be exploring Genesis 2, so we'll delve a little deeper into that. But the way God our Father works through the leading of his Holy Spirit, and first, it comes, it comes down to the relationship with the Lord. But through the leading of his Holy Spirit, if we let him guide our day-to-day, what comes out of that is incredible fruit, incredible produce out of our work. And it's work that he guides and work that he directs and work that he equips us to do. And so even though there's effort, there's intentionality when it comes to us saying, yes, Jesus, take over my day-to-day. Yes, Jesus, take over my gossip situation, my um, environment of chronic illness. God, take over my disagreements. Take over my politics. Take over my, my, my... new seasons, my new beginnings, take over my near-death experiences. God, just take over. Yes, it takes effort and it takes intentionality every single day to do that. But at the same time, when we say yes, the Holy Spirit takes over and the direction that God takes us in produces fruit for eternity. Kingdom Work for Christ is all about the Great Commission of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus, after he died showing us what a lifestyle should be when we are in God. So the perfect life that man was supposed to live before sin, Jesus came, lived it, and showed us what that looks like here on earth. And then he died for the sins that we committed. And so he took that penalty for us. After he did both things, he resurrected, having conquered death. And if death can't hold him down, And if death can't terminate him, then anyone who follows him from here on out can never be terminated as long as they remain in Christ. So that's the pathway he made for us. So after he did that, he's talking to his disciples, to people who are following him. In Matthew 28, 17, it says that people who were with him were in two camps. They either believed him or they doubted him. And to all of them, he said this. First, Matthew 28, 18, know that all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. And that's Jesus speaking. Two, therefore go, make disciples of nations. Three, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Four, teach them to obey my commandments. And then five, know that I'm with you always till the end of the age. Our Father is so, so caring for his children. God loves us so intimately that he gave us a beautiful way to spend eternity with him, even though we made a choice as a humanity to defy him from the beginning. And so the Great Commission is all about carrying the Lord's work and kingdom work for Christ, being a kingdom worker for Christ is taking up that cross every day and saying, Lord, take over my day-to-day. 
environments of illness, environments of gossip, environments in the workplace, environments in government, environments, wherever the environment, wherever you place me, Jesus, I am going to be infectious for you. I am going to be someone who makes disciples of nations, not because I make disciples of nations, but because I know that you have all authority in heaven and on earth. And under that authority, I then operate in such a way that people come to know you better or come to know you for the first time. That's what Kingdom of Christ is. So last week we had the privilege of actually doing it a little bit in reverse. Usually we do the, the biblical insight on the environment and then we have the interview. Um, but last week, Beth Matthews was very gracious to come on the show. And she gave such a beautiful testimony about how she's taken her defeat, her moments of defeat, whether it was struggling with the oppression of bulimia or struggling with a term, turbulent and turmoil-filled family environment, whatever the environment was, how she has allowed God to take over her defeats and to make her into a work in progress for the sake of his glory. And so she started us off in such a beautiful way that helps us to get our hearts right on how God can really activate some powerful tools in our lives if we allow ourselves to be under his Holy Spirit in moments of defeat. Today, we're going to be talking about three things. The first one is this, inviting God to take over our defeats and how this results in us becoming his workmanship in progress. And we're going to look at Adam. We're going to learn a lot from Adam today in Genesis 2. Then we're going to take a field trip and go and visit the way in which avoiding God's intervention in our day-to-day creates a lasting defeat, a lasting loneliness in our endeavors. All of a sudden, we think we can do it on our own. And so we say, no, God, you take a back seat. I got this. (laughs) Can anybody relate to this? I know I have done this. I know I've definitely struggled with doing this. And so what happens when we avoid God's intervention in our day-to-day? How does this create lasting defeat in our life? We're going to be visiting the, the parable of the great banquet to really learn from that. And then the third thing we're going to do today is we're going to be looking at Thanksgiving. We have a wonderful example today that is so richly filled with defeats that were turned into God's work in progress. And we're about to celebrate that tomorrow. So we're going to leverage some of this incredible history, both horribly negative and horribly positive and and gratefully positive, excuse me. So we're going to be looking at that and seeing the way in which God has also transformed some of these defeats into his work in progress. So let's start. Go straight to the Bible. If you have your Bible with you, that's where we're going to start. We're going to be looking at first how inviting God to take over our defeats can result in us becoming his workmanship in progress. So we're going to visit Genesis 2, verses 4 through 22. Genesis 2, verses 4 through 22. It says, in that day, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth and no herb of the field Had yet sprung up. The Lord had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no one to till the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. 
Then the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. I want to pause here. Have you ever walked past one of those gardens where they have a slight mist? It's it's like um, automated irrigation continuously going. Sometimes it's towards the nighttime or it'll be, you know, at, at times where people are not passing by often. But if you've seen that, take that picture and imagine what, what Genesis 2 describes here. It says, the Lord allowed for a mist to consistently be watering the earth. Okay, it says, rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Okay, so we'll keep on going. It says, the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man who he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flows out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it divides and becomes four branches. So keep in mind, one river is watering the Garden of Eden. After it waters that Garden of Eden, then it divides and becomes four branches. The name of the first is Pashan. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there's gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. And now the name of the second river is Gahan. And it is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris, which flows from east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. So this is a beautiful place that the Lord has created. It's a wonderful environment, an environment of perfection. Verse 16, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, you may eat freely of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. When the Lord God said, it is not, then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper as his partner. So, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field, every bird of the air, brought them, brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every animal of the field. Before the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. And so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs, closed up his place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made it into woman and brought her to the man. We're going to pause here. So we have a picture of a garden of perfection of a creation of perfection, of the most precious stones and gems in that garden. 
And that's only from one river. We didn't even get details about what the others touched, the land that, you know, all the gems that came from there. We we hear of the, the plants and the trees and how they were pleasant, not just to the eye, but they were actually nutritional. They were good for the man. So God creates this perfection, and he puts the man there. And he puts the man there without any work. He literally just puts him there to take in the incredible nature of the creation that he had for him. And then the next step, God sees that the man is lonely. And as God observes this, he says, this man's got to have a helper. And so in order to help the man, he gives the man work. I think it's really important to keep that in mind. The helping, the part, the process towards him getting a helper involved first him, the work of God. As he's doing the work of God, he is naming the animals. The animals, by the way, that God has created. Not that he's created, but the animals God's created. God is literally making all this for him, but he says, you know what? You can name it as if you made it your, by yourself. And so man is naming the animals. He's engaging in the work of God, and, and God still sees there's a loneliness there. It's, it's not quite right. And then he puts the man to sleep. And then he creates woman. And then the man has someone he can co-labor with. You see, allowing our defeats to become God's work in progress starts with recognizing the attentiveness of God in giving us, even when we don't feel that he's attentive to us, right? So allowing God to become our work, uh, God to make us into work in progress allows us to understand how much God cares about us how much he wants to provide, how much he's got going on for us. Adam felt lonely. You see, I would wager to say that there was a period of time when Adam was looking at all this incredible creation where Adam felt like God was not there. Adam felt a sense of loneliness, of sadness, so that God noticed and said, you know what, Mm, that's not right. Let's give him some work to do. Let's give him some work to do. But there's beauty in Adam having been able to intake God's creation without having to do the work of God quite yet. You see, he was able to intake the perfection of what God had put before him. And this is something we can deeply learn from. A lot of times when we're engaging in the work of God, it's so easy to get wrapped up in the logistics in the work part of it and not take a step back and simply be in God's presence. And from the outflow of being in that presence, the Lord then fills us in order to be able to do the work that he has before us. God gave man work next. And the work was to name what he had already created, to categorize them. But see, man was engaging in this work. Adam was engaging in this work. And even in the midst of engaging in this work, he was still feeling lonely. He still needed someone to co-labor with him, someone to help 
He probably still felt like God wasn't with him all the time. Maybe this time when he felt it, it felt even worse. He felt defeated. I just wonder why God had to put him to sleep this time. The first time he gave him something else to fill his innermost desires. But this time, there was a depth to what Adam felt that God had to put him to sleep in order to tend to that. The waiting while we're doing God's work, just like Adam, we can learn to decipher what is work from what is God-given, God-given, God-assigned here. So in the midst of waiting, as he's naming the animals, as he's doing the work that God has before him, Adam felt this sense of loneliness, and God gave him woman, gave him Eve. Well, if he hadn't known what it was to work without Eve as a co-laborer, then he wouldn't have appreciated Eve as much as he did when he met Eve for the first time. Much in the same way, if he hadn't felt a sense of loneliness, a sense of emptiness, a sense of needing to do something while he was appreciating and intaking God's creation, he wouldn't have appreciated and probably wouldn't have been able to name and properly categorize the animals of the air, the animals of the sea, the animals of the earth. The whole point here is that God has process. And when we submit ourselves to God's process, our defeats become his workmanship. Adam, when he was by himself without any work to do, just intaking God's creation, felt a sense of loneliness. That was his defeat at that moment. But he, not being inhibited by all the stuff we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, by sin. No sin had entered at this point. And because no sin had entered at his point, he was very quick to bow down to what God had for him. And in doing that, his defeat of being lonely was turned into God's work in progress. So Adam became the, the, the essentially graduated, right, to the next step of God's creation. And out of the sense of loneliness, even while he was working and naming God's creation, Adam humbled himself unto the Lord. And his defeat of being lonely became his next step towards being in the company of a co-laborer, a helper, who would journey with him in this work that God had for both of them. This is what can happen when we allow our defeats to become what God uses to make us his workmanship. So today, you and I can allow the living God to take over our lives. And you and I can get to see our defeats transformed into God's work in progress. That's good news. That's really good news. So next... Let's take a look at what happens when we avoid God's intervention in our day-to-day. When, when this all of a sudden turns into making one defeat a lasting defeat. Or when we avoid God's intervention so much so that 
our endeavors become a lonely endeavor because we certainly do not have the backing of God in what we're undertaking. What does that look like? Let's take a look at the parable of the great dinner. Luke 14, 15 through 24, also referred to as the great banquet often. The parable of the great dinner, we're going to start out with um, verse 15. It says, one of the dinner guests on hearing said to him, blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus said to him, someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready now. But all alike, they began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have just been married. Therefore, I cannot come. <laughs> I like how the married person, by the way, just married person, didn't even say, please accept my regrets. He's like, I do not regret this. I am married. I have got to take care of business. So the slave, verse 21. <laughs> so the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets, the lanes of the town, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Then the slave said, sir, what you ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, go out to the roads, the lanes, compel the people to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who are invited will taste my dinner. You know what always amazes me about this parable? What always amazes me about this parable is that Jesus had enough all along for all the poor, all the crippled, all the blind, all the lame, all the people on the roads, all the people on the lanes, and yet he chose to invite a few. Why is that? Why didn't, why didn't Jesus invite all the other people in the first place? And I really believe that it ties into what we just read in Genesis 2. The pattern of God the Father. His pattern of wanting his children to co-labor with him. To partake in his work. His pattern of loving us so much that he wants us to understand how it feels. To have the full liberty to be under his authority. Let me repeat that. To understand how it feels to have the full liberty to be under God's authority. I believe that if the few who he had invited had attended, they would have been greatly blessed by having the privilege of not only partaking in the feast firsthand, but of inviting all the other people to also come. I believe that this was the same and a very similar moment to what God did with Adam, where he said, I made those animals, but I am going to allow you the privilege in your moment of defeat 
in that moment where you feel lonely, I'm going to invite you and give you the privilege of being able to partake in my work so that you become my workmanship in progress. Adam, I'm going to give that to you. And much in the same way, I believe Jesus had a moment that was reserved for the people he had invited in the first place. Not that Jesus was going to include, exclude everyone else and say, forget about but that those few that were invited missed a really critical opportunity to see the King of Kings act and be vibrant through their lives, not only in their lives, but through their lives. And this is why I'm so incredibly humbled to serve you in this very capacity, because as a kingdom worker for Christ, when we take the opportunities God lays before us through the leading of his Holy Spirit, which first begins with prayer and being in the word of God and praying, Lord, how do you want to use me every single moment, every single day? When we do that, we do not miss opportunities like this. When we do that, we get to say yes to the invitation to the great dinner so that we can partake in inviting the people who are the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, whether it's all those things spiritually or physically, we get to partake in the work of the Father in bringing all these people to the house, all these people to the great dinner. And when they're satisfied and when they have reached that incredible privilege of eternal life in Jesus, we get to say, ah, oh, Lord, you are amazing, amazing. Not because we're great, not because we did anything, but because you had this for us all along. This is what happens when we allow the Lord to take over our day-to-day. Now, let's take a look at the three people who, who turned this down. Because this, is, this can really be us, too. And in our moments of defeat, okay, in our moments of, of, of tiredness, in our moments of exhaustion, whatever it is that we're feeling, where we are feeling like we have to put in the effort to be able to make it on a day-to-day basis. The people here, the very first person said, I have bought a piece of land. I need to go out and take care of my land. I got to take care of my job. I got to take care of my workplace. I gotta, these bills are not paying themselves. I got to take care of these things, right? That person didn't allow God to take over their day-to-day so that God could provide not just in a way that would benefit this person so that their land would be taken care of, but in a way that would also have them partake in the work of bringing people to this amazing dinner. And who knows, maybe the people that were at this amazing dinner would have said, hey, I want to help you out with your land. Yeah, let's all go out and take care of your piece of land. But that person missed it because that person avoided God's intervention in their day-to-day. Another person says, I bought five yoke of oxen. I got to go try them out. It's this new stage of life, right? This new thing that we have going on. Oh, I got to do this thing. And so because I'm doing this thing, I need to go out and I need to focus on that thing, that new thing in my life. I have to focus so much on it that I'm going to tune everything out. The things of God, I'm going to tune it out. Because this new thing, I need to do it. And that can happen in any situation. That can happen in a new marriage. Actually, we'll talk about the new marriage in a second. 
But that can happen in a new job, that can happen in a ministry, that can happen in a new any, anything. And if we don't take time to allow the presence, the intervention, the interruption of the presence of God in our lives, and it's sad that we have to say God's presence is an interruption, but if we don't allow that to happen, then our defeats become lasting defeats. Our defeats become us going round and round in circles, becoming more exhausted, becoming more tired, because we simply cannot get everything done. Why? Because God is not invited to intervene and make us his workmanship. And then we have the guy who just got married or the girl who just got married, just as a person. And that person says, I, I got married. I got married. The person doesn't even bother to apologize for not coming. The person simply replaces God with their spouse. The person simply assumes that tending to their spouse, maybe even their God-given spouse, takes care of inviting God in the day-to-day. That person isolates themselves. That person does not get into community. Or if they get into community, they get into community that is a community of like-minded individuals who together escape the great work of God through marriage. And therein lies another issue. Therein lies a defeat. Because when the rubber meets the road and that person is no longer able to tend to the things in their marriage by themselves of their own effort and their own volition, then they realize how costly it is to replace God for a spouse. And so in those three scenarios, we can learn a lot about what it means to avoid doing the work of God. And by doing the work of God, it's it's simple, inviting Jesus to take over the day-to-day. How? First, through prayer. Second, through being in the Word of God. And the combination of the two help us then, under the leading of the Holy Spirit, to do what God needs us to do so more can come to know him for the first time or better. I'm going to take a little side, a side swipe here, but here is something to really consider. Being in prayer helps us to see how God speaks today. Being in the word of God helps us to see how God spoke before in the past and how he can speak today. And then being in both the word and in prayer helps us to see how God will speak in the future and helps us to discern how God will speak in the future. Essentially, when we're in prayer, we learn to hear how God speaks to us, through us. When we are in the word of God, we learn how he spoke to his people in the word, how he gave his promises, not just for his people, but for the people to come and generations to come. And when you couple those two together, that is a firehouse tool we have at our disposal on a day-to-day basis. That is a way to understand the leading of the Holy Spirit, because through prayer, the Holy Spirit directs our paths. 
and with the knowledge of what God has done with his people in the word, oh my goodness, we become a fire for Jesus. So that what, that's what King Work for Christ starts with. And then in that, we can go in our workplaces. We can go in prisons or gossip. We can go in disagreements. We can go in politics. We can go in health. We can go as young adults. We can go all these things we've covered on the show, you know, through different episodes. We can go in all these environments and say, I am a Christ representative. I am willing to do his work and his will, no matter what it takes, no matter what anyone has to say about it, what they think about it. If the Holy Spirit leads me, by God, I'm going to do his work, and nobody's going to stand in my way. And that's the kind of work and impact that brings down our defeats from defeat to God's workmanship from defeat to being God's work in progress. And then we have a beautiful example. We have this example right in front of our face. And as I was praying about this episode, and this particular example was on my heart, I was actually very humbled and taken aback at how how obvious it was and how timely this episode is. Um, and this is a live show. If you're listening to this on 1123 at 930, and if you're listening to, to, to this later, then, and it's not so live, <laughs> but, but, um, but it's the day before Thanksgiving. It's the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And as we're getting ready to celebrate Thanksgiving, for those of you who are in the U.S. listening to this episode or who are familiar with the tradition of Thanksgiving, you'll appreciate this. Because our story of Thanksgiving and what we're about to celebrate tomorrow is filled with defeats to God's workmanship. It's filled with it. And so let's start, let's look a little bit at, at what history has to offer. Before we start, I want to sing Mary Had a Little Lamb. And I'm going to, and it sounds so weird. But I'm going to sing to you, Mary Has a Little Lamb. And in a second, you will understand why Mary Has a Little Lamb actually has a part to play in what we'll talk about. So just bear with me really quickly. So if you know the sign that says, Mary had a little lamb, little lamb, little lamb. Mary had a little lamb. His fleece was white as snow. Mary had a little lamb, little lamb. Little lamb, Mary had a little lamb. His feet was white as snow. I can't say that fast. <laughs> Mary had a little lamb, little lamb, little lamb. Mary had a little lamb. His fleece was white as snow. Okay, this is where I stop. <laughs> uh, yeah, practice, by the way, makes perfect. So anyway. You got to practice. When you come up with things at the last minute on the cuff, this is what happens. <laughs> Anyways, the reason I sing Mary Has a Little Lamb is because the woman who wrote Mary Has a Little Lamb, uh, she's actually a huge reason why we celebrate Thanksgiving today. So where does Thanksgiving come from? In, in 1621, the Plymouth colonists, some of them escaping religious persecution, some of them is, um, looking for a better uh, life, a life of prosperity, a new land to own, immigrated to the United States. 
So the Plymouth colonists, this is off of History Channel, history.com, and it says the Plymouth colonists and Wampanoag Indians shared an autumn harvest in 1621 that is acknowledged today as one of the first Thanksgiving celebrations in the colonies. For more than two centuries, days of Thanksgiving were celebrated by individual colonies and states. And it really wasn't until 1863, in the midst of the Civil War, that President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a National Day of Thanksgiving to be held in November. So let's go back. In September 1620, a small ship called the Mayflower left Plymouth, England, and it carried 102 passengers, an assortment of religious separatists seeking a home where they could freely practice their faith, and other individuals who were lured by the promise of prosperity and land ownership in the new world. After a treacherous crossing that lasted 66 days, they dropped anchor near the tip of Cape Cod, far north of their intended destination at the mouth of the Hudson River. All of you guys from Jersey, One month later, the Mayflower crossed Massachusetts Bay, where, where the pilgrims, as they were commonly known, began the work of establishing a village at Plymouth. Throughout that first brutal winter, most of the colonists remained on board of the ship. They suffered from exposure, scurvy, outbreaks of contagious disease. Just, they were just a mess. Only half of the Mayflower's original passengers and crew lived to see the first New England spring. In March, the remaining settlers moved ashore, and they were received by an astonishing visit from an Abenaki Indian who greeted them in English. Several days later, he returned with another Native American, Squanto, a member of the Patuxet tribe who had been kidnapped by an English sea captain sold into, into slavery before escaping to London and then returning to his homeland on an exploratory expedition. Swanto taught the pilgrims who were weakened by malnutrition and illness how to cultivate corn, how to extract sap from maple trees, how to catch fish in the rivers, how to avoid poisonous plants. He also helped the settlers to forge an alliance with the Wampanoag, a local tribe. And this would endure for more than 50 years. And unfortunately, this remains one of the only examples of harmony between the European colonists and the So this act of Thanksgiving, just to recap what we just learned, started out with a man who had once been captured by an English sea captain and sold into slavery and then had come back. So started out with a man who decided to help out a bunch of settlers who were really struggling from malnutrition and everything like that. And that man decided, a Native American from the Patuxet tribe named Squanto, he decided to help them out to, to show them and to teach them how to plant corn how to survive in this new territory. So this is this is the backdrop of the extended hand in something that was extremely painful for the pilgrims and their journey that helped out to, to, to get this Thanksgiving we're about to celebrate. Let's continue. 
In November 1621, after the Pilgrims' first corn harvest proved to be successful, Governor William Bradford organized a celebratory feast, and he invited a group of fledging colonies, Native American allies, including the Wampanoag chief, Massasoit. Now remembered as the Americans' first Thanksgiving, this, although the pilgrims themselves may have not used that term at the time, this is the festival that lasted for three days. Then pilgrims held their second Thanksgiving celebration in 1623, and that was at the end of a long drought that had threatened to destroy all the harvest. And this happened because Governor Bradford, the same one who invited um, the the uh, Native American chief Masabsoit to have a meal with them for the first Thanksgiving. So this happened because Governor Bradford called a religious fast, and this was days of fasting and Thanksgiving on an annual or occasional basis, and it was really common practice in all the New England settlements as well. During the American Revolution, the Continental Congress designated one or more days of Thanksgiving a year. And in 1789, George Washington issued the first Thanksgiving proclamation by the national government of the United States. And in this, he called upon all the Americans to express their gratitude for the happy conclusion of the country's war of independence and the successful ratification of the U.S. Constitution. His successors, John Adams and James and also designated days of thanks during their presidencies. Now let's get real. Let's explore this history and really look at this within the context of defeat and how the Lord can turn defeat into his workmanship against the backdrop of a lot of defeat, a lot of evil, a lot of wrongdoing. So the backdrop of defeat for the pilgrims started out when they were experiencing religious persecution in England they were trying to escape from that. Or the backdrop of the feet of poverty for all of those, the pilgrims who immigrated to the United States and immigrated with the intent to have, you know, own new land or have prosperity. Or the defeat of pride. The pilgrims who immigrated with enough pride in their heart to continue on with the practice of slavery. Which we will, which we know happened um, for centuries later. Okay, so there's tremendous defeat here that is starting off this entire thing of Thanksgiving. So against that grotesque back, backdrop of defeat, there's also the grotesque backdrop of defeat for the Native Americans whose land was, in many instances, brutally ripped away from them. There is the backdrop of defeat in which war came about, in which children, mothers, fathers were destroyed and disseminated so that we can have the privilege of being here today, you and I. And so the, the backdrop of that defeat comes this Thanksgiving that you and I get to partake in. So against that backdrop here are two groups of men who extended their hand in such a way that they allowed for God's workmanship to come. It w it's shown in history that the pilgrims who came 
that some of them did have religious freedom in the United States, which is what they were seeking as they were leaving England, as they were being persecuted. And so I have to believe that some of them were actually Christ-centered. And if that's the case, the Lord heard their prayers. Because amidst what was going on, there was the extension of Squanto, Native American man from the Patuxet tribe, who came to their rescue and was a helping hand to help them integrate into this new territory, this new climate, this new environment. And as a response, Governor Bradford extended his hand and invited him to come over and to have this meal. But let's not kid ourselves. Thanksgiving is against the backdrop of tremendous defeat, tremendous heartache, tremendous brokenness. To this day, some people who have come from lineages of Native Americans consider Thanksgiving Day to be a day of mourning, a day in which they remember what was stripped away from them. And it's important for us as we get ready to celebrate our turkey days to have a sensitivity to that, to, to the rich history marred with horrible defeats for both those who immigrated here and Native Americans, and how against the backdrop of all that, God has still been able to use this history in such a rich manner to bring about his workmanship. And so we see not only this invitation, but then the years later after the drought was over, that this is what sparks a whole initiative to fast and a whole initiative to turn towards God to ask for his help in continuing on in this new territory. So let's continue. It says, um, still reading from the same article, in 1817, New York became the first of several states to officially adopt an annual Thanksgiving holiday. Each celebrated on a different day. However, the American South remained largely unfamiliar with the tradition. In 1827, the noted magazine editor and prolific writer Sarah Josepha Haley, who's an author and among countless other things, she's the author of the nursery rhyme, Mary Had a Little Lamb. She launched a campaign to establish Thanksgiving as a national holiday. For 36 years, she published numerous editorials since she sent scores of letters to governors, senators, presidents, other politicians. Abraham Lincoln was finally the one who heeded her request in 1863. At the height of the Civil War, in a proclamation entreating all Americans to ask God to commend to his tender care for all who have become widows, orphans, mourners, sufferers, in this lamentable civil strife and to heal the wounds of the nation. He scheduled Thanksgiving for the final Thursday in November, and it was celebrated on that day every year until 1939 when Franklin Roosevelt moved the holiday up a week in an attempt to spur retail sales during the Great Depression. Roosevelt's plant plan was known as Thanksgiving. <laughs> and was met with passionate opposition. And so in 1941, he reluctantly signed a bill making 
bill to make it Thanksgiving the fourth Thursday in November. Hearing this, talk about some serious defeat. Here is a writer, Sarah Josepha Haley, who today has, goodness, everybody seeing Mary has a little lamp, and at least everyone recognizes it. And here is this woman who time in and time out, she's telling people, listen, we got to celebrate this as a Thanksgiving holiday. We have to celebrate this as a Thanksgiving holiday. And she continued on, even through the defeat of being ignored, she continued on. And Abraham Lincoln finally accepted to have this, and it was exactly what the nation needed at that time in the middle of civil unrest in order to, for one day at the very least, be able to focus on the countless things that we're supposed to be focusing on during Thanksgiving, which is asking God to tend care to all who have become widows, orphans, mourners, sufferers, and lamentable civil stripes. Against the backdrop of 50 relentless persistence paid off and established this long-lasting holiday. It's right in front of our faces. And today, unfortunately, it's become such a holiday of opulence, this, this disarray, disagreement. For some, it's very lovely. For others, it's very sad. I mean, it's just become this over-centralized, over-commercialized holiday. But the real essence of the real question here today, as we're talking about allowing God to take our defeats and turning them into his workmanship, is can we be... God's people in such a way that just like this whole history of Thanksgiving came about, we can allow God's workmanship to take place and to to, to really happen against the backdrop of our defeats. Can we avoid being the three people in the great banquet story who are so busy with their work, so busy with their um, new initiatives, so busy with their even their new marriages, those of, of us who are married, and for, for those of us like me who are single, you know, are, are so, so busy in whatever it is that God has us in this particular life, a stage of our life. Can we allow God to just take over all that so that his workmanship, his work will be done in us? Because Adam did, and as we learned in Genesis 2, when Adam did, oh, did his story become a story of God's workmanship. God gave him everything. He allowed him to see the beauty of his creation firsthand. He allowed him then to partake in his work as if he had made it from his own hands. And then he allowed him to co-labor with people in community. And this, these three steps were so integral in that particular order so that Adam could fully partake in what God had for him. Can we allow God to do that in our lives? Can we allow God to pull us away so that we can experience his presence freshly or for the first time? Can we allow God to then give us the work that he has for us rather than the things that we've set up for ourselves? And then as a byproduct of that, let God place us in the community of co-laborers that's going to help and that's going to, to, to spur one another to continue to do God's good work according to the leading of his Holy Spirit. Can we get back to the basics when it comes to our defeats so that God's will be done here on earth as it is in heaven? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege of being able to submit unto you, Lord. 
experience your presence, experience your work, experience your will. And Lord God, we are so grateful for your patience when it comes to us. We're so grateful for how attentive you are, Abba, and for how day in and day out you continue to provide. Day in and day out you continue to prune. Day in and day out you continue to redirect. And Lord, we just pray that we will be attentive and turn our hearts, turn our ears towards you, Lord. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for what you did in Genesis 2 and what you still promise to do even in the midst of this broken, sinful world, starting with ourselves, Lord. And so, God, I just pray that we will let go and have a spirit of thanksgiving, a spirit of humility. And in this period of time, Lord, where everyone is saying thanksgiving, Lord, but we get to also live that. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege of being yours. And God, we pray for our brothers and sisters who yet do not know you. We thank you, Lord, for any part you want us to play in that, in sharing that good news of your gospel, Lord. Not that condemning you news, not that judgmental news, Lord, but the good news of the gospel so that your Holy Spirit will permeate here on earth as it is in heaven. Hallelujah to you, King. We adore you, King. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you are not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, first I want to thank you for listening to a Christ-centered show and for for making it to (laughs) The second thing I want to tell you is this. This is not a coincidence. Jesus is pursuing you. He loves you, created you, and he wants a relationship with you. And to know this, he will never, ever let you down. And so you can afford to let him in. I don't know what your story is, why you have not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. But know that he's already accepted you. He loves you. He already wants to be in relationship with you. He just needs you to say yes. If you want to know more information about that, please email us, contact at kingdomworkforchrist.com. If you want resources and you're a believer in Jesus and you're just wanting resources as to how to stay intimate with Jesus while trying to find a church home, please email us. We're not sponsored by anyone. We we really will give you what we have found to be rich, resourceful, and Christ-centered, more importantly. And know that the Lord wants to continue to have you fall deeper and deeper in love with him. Really, it's not falling when it's in love with Jesus. It's rising. So rise deeper and deeper in love with him. All right. Well, on that note, have a wonderful Thanksgiving break. Have an amazing time. Stay in a spirit of thanksgiving, of humility, and know that the Lord loves, loves, loves you. And because he loves you, because he loves me, I love you. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. 